in the height of my lust, when I was going through fornication and pornography, something that I always knew that I wanted in the future was a wife and a family. Regardless of how many women I had slept with, regardless of how many times I would watch pornography, I knew that I wanted to be a husband to one woman. I wanted to love her the right way. At the time, I didn't know that that was the way that Christ loved the church. I looked at my father and the way that he loves my mother. I looked at my grandfathers and the way that they loved my grandmothers. And I knew that I wanted that. I knew that I wanted a good marriage. I wanted a um, loving family. And I wanted to lead and love well as a man. And so I knew that in order to achieve that, my lifestyle would have to change currently. And I would just evaluate myself in a spiritual mirror, in a sense. And I would look at my spiritual reflection and I would say to myself, you can't continue to live like this. I was a kid that you could say kind of grew up in the American dream. Um, I grew up in the suburbs, nice house, safe neighborhood, um, good upbringing. Um, I knew all four of my grandparents. Um, my mother, my mother and my father were both in my life. They loved me well. Um, they weren't perfect like no human being is, but they did the best that they could in raising me and loving me and showing me who Jesus was. My father was and is currently a pastor of a church. And so I was exposed to church all of my life, whether if I was in the world or if I was saved. I remember when I was a kid, I would go to church. I didn't understand what worship was. I didn't understand what praise was. And I honestly didn't even know who Jesus was. I just knew that this was a person, an entity who represented good or something positive, the opposite of darkness, right? And so I remember um, I, I always consistently flash back to an image of my mother praising. My mother is a very expressive praiser. Um, my father, when he would preach, he's very expressive. Um, they're both loud. <laughs> um, and so my mom was just screaming and shouting hallelujah. And I just remember watching her and I, I just did not understand at the time. And so I would have those consistent deposits of going to church with my mother and my father throughout my entire childhood. And so, you know, they never forced me to live for God. Um, I believe that their heart posture was, this is what is being presented before you and you have to make the decision. And so with that, um, like every normal kid in society, kids wanna be cool, kids wanna be accepted, kids want to fit in with the crowd. And so um, from, I would say around kindergarten to fourth grade, I would say that I was just doing my thing. I wasn't really, you know, engulfed in wickedness to the degree that the enemy wanted me to. But fifth grade was that mark for me. And I remember it specifically because how the devil did it was he did it in increments. So one thing I noticed was from the transition of fourth grade to fifth grade, fifth grade was the first time I would use profanity passively. And so from, from the time I was born to fourth grade, I never cursed. I never said a word of profanity, regardless of how angry or frustrated I was. Even if I heard kids doing it, I never did it. But fifth grade was that moment where I crossed the line of using profanity, profanity 
loosely didn't care how I said things or what I said and so it was stepping stones and I would just consistently try to fit in I started to listen to music outside of gospel music and that also wasn't my norm either so I, I literally did these things just to be cool and then when I was in sixth grade I heard one of the people that I went to school with talk about pornography and I didn't watch it at the time, but it was just the fact that it was in my system. And so I don't remember the specific time, but I know it was after that moment. It was after sixth grade. I remember I was in the car with my mom and it was weird. Um, I just didn't understand why there was just such a burning desire to investigate certain things. And so I remember I was in the car with her and I started searching on YouTube kissing scenes or sex scenes in movies. I would just look at it and I was excited I wanted to investigate and I remember I kept scrolling on YouTube and there was a scene that was available on YouTube and it but it wasn't a scene of a movie it was a porn scene and so it wasn't the full clip you know um but it 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 was two pornographic actors you know doing what they were doing and it gave the link to the website and so I didn't do I didn't look at the website in with my mom in the car because I was too scared to do that. So immediately when I got home, I searched up the website and that was the first time I had like watched porn for real, for real, like the very first time. And I remember um, where I was and what was going through my mind. And I, I wasn't even sexually aroused by it. I was just curious um, and I just kept looking at it and continuously looking at it more and more. And then as hormones began to grow, I started to become, you know, more and more sexually aroused. And so I remember um, it got to a point where I would just watch it consistently, but then watching it turned to touching. And so, you know, when I look at my life and how I was introduced to sexual perversion, um, it just shows me that it was just something that the enemy had for me. Uh, I wasn't touched inappropriately. I wasn't coerced to do anything. I literally just had this flaming, burning desire um, to fulfill in a lustful way. And so I remember I was in my basement and I was watching pornography and I just started touching myself. Um, nobody taught me how to masturbate. It was literally just something that I did. When I figured out how to do that and I ended up um, receiving an ejaculation or an orgasm, I would just, then it was, it just turned into a greater level of addiction and uh, addiction. And so I literally would watch pornography before school, after school, every single day from the beginning of seventh grade to, I would say the beginning of my freshman year in college every day consistently. And so, and that time I was still going to church and there were things that were happening in my life while I was while I was partaking in this lifestyle, when I look back, it shocked me. I remember I would go to, my mother would always drop me off at high school and she would say, remember who you are and whose you are. And so these these were the kind of deposits and the things that stuck with me. And so um, I remember even in high school, I would go home after masturbating and I would go to my basement and I would turn on uh, worship music and I would lift my hands and cry in the presence of God. I didn't know that's what it was at the time, but I just felt this urge pulling me into the basement where nobody was watching. Um, and I would just listen to gospel music and just cry. I, I didn't say anything about Jesus. I didn't say anything about God, but I would just cry and listening. I would consistently listen to worship music. 
And this was literally all happening. I remember I would go to youth conferences and people would ask me to lead prayer on stage as I'm just living any kind of way. And people would come to me after and say, oh, wow, like that prayer was so powerful. And I didn't really take anything of it because in the back of my head, I, I know that I'm not living this life or living for this God that I'm praying for, for real. And even the understanding that I was not living for him didn't really bother me either. And so um, when I was in high school, while I was watching pornography and addicted to that, there was also still a level of insecurity that I had because I was a virgin. As I said earlier, kids want to fit in. Kids want to feel like that they belong, you know? And so um, I remember when I lost my virginity, I felt like, I guess you could say a champion. I felt like I accomplished everything that I uh could have accomplished in life, but Lord knows that it was the beginning of me going into, I guess you could say, a tunnel of depression, suicide, um, anger, rage, and even rejection. I felt so alone. And, and as I said in the beginning, I was somebody who one could say had the perfect life. I had parents who loved me. I had a nice house. I had financial stability. I never missed a meal. My parents never struggled. I could have had whatever I wanted. And I'm blessed to know that. But in the midst of having family, in the midst of having security financially, in the midst of having a nice, warm home to go to where I know that I would be loved and cared for, I still felt alone. Mm. And I remember even in that house, I was alone by myself. And I had the biggest temptation to take my life. I remember I was I was calling people and they couldn't answer me. They did not answer me because they were unavailable. I don't know if they were busy, but I remember I called the closest people um, to me in my circle at the time and none of them were able to answer and things were just um, happening, I guess, in their lives. And so in that moment, I felt alone. Um, I literally was contemplating jumping off of the deck of my house and just taking my life there because I just felt so empty and I just didn't know what to do. I, I didn't know how to get out of this place. It, it, it just felt so hopeless. And so I would go to parties and I would hang out with people. I would have friends, I would laugh and I would joke with them when we would go do our hangouts and stuff. But I just felt so empty by myself. And do so, you, do you know where uh, now? Even looking back, where that was coming from, or where that was stemming from—that that feeling of just alone—I believe it came from the fact that I was just leaning into things that could only give me temporary satisfaction. Mm. I know it's cliche, but I needed the Lord, and so I didn't know that I needed Him, but I was continuously reaching out for things that couldn't give me what I needed, and so. They, they, instead of healing the deficiency of my souls, they were emphasizing them. They were increasing them. And so it just got worse and worse and worse. I remember there would be days I would wake up depressed, didn't know why, emotionally unstable, didn't know why, frust just, just frustrated. And I think what I would consistently just not understand was the fact that I had these people that loved me. It wasn't like I didn't it wasn't that there weren't people in my life that did not love me. I told you that I knew all four of my grandparents and all of them expressed their love for me. And even when my mother's parents passed away, I still had my father's parents who showered me with their love that took me into their home every summer, would buy me stuff, spoil me, would consistently just talk about how much I was valued and how much I mattered. 
yet I still did not feel that for myself. So there was a disconnect because I had all of these people who had weight. It wasn't like these were strangers. These were these were my family members. This was my mother, my father, who birthed me and raised me from since I was a little boy going into a teenager telling me that I matter, telling me that I am loved, telling me that um, I have hope and I have a God has a plan for me. And I didn't believe any of that. I remember it just continued to get worse and worse. And that's when, you know, the fornication started to get more and more um, frequent. I started to find validation in women, in, in the women that were willing to allow me to sleep with them or that thought that I was attractive. But what I always noticed is regardless of how broken I was or regardless of what kind of sin that dwelled in my life at the time, there was a line that I did not cross. There, there, there were, and, and when I say a line that I did not cross, I'm specifically talking about the way that I choose to think or the way that I choose to have thought. And so these actions were wrong, and I knew that. I never once justified my lifestyle. So when I would go and have sex with um, girls, I would know in the back of my head that this was wrong. I didn't read the Bible at the time, so I didn't know that the Bible said that fornication was wrong, but inwardly, I knew that it was wrong. It would get to, there were times where I would skip church to go ha have sex with girls, and at that time, you know, I was also thinking of the fact like, wow, I, it was a subtle thought in the back of my head like, wow, I'm a pastor's kid, you know, my father is out here preaching the gospel every Sunday, ministering to God's people, and his son is living like this. And it was just a subtle thought in my mind. And I was just, I, I knew that, it's funny, I knew that there was better, but I just didn't want to pursue it. And it, it was it was a form of, I don't, I don't, I can't even formulate the words, but looking back at it, I just know that I was confused. I just know that I didn't have any direction. I just know that I didn't, um, I just knew that I was lost. One of the things that I take with me all the time when I reflect on my testimony is the fact that in the height of my lust, when I was going through fornication and pornography, something that I always knew that I wanted in the future was a wife and a family. And regardless of how many women I had slept with, regardless of how many times I would watch pornography, I knew that I wanted to be a husband to one woman I wanted to love her the right way. At the time, I didn't know that that was the way that Christ loved the church. But I looked at my father and the way that he loves my mother. I looked at my grandfathers and the way that they loved my grandmothers. And I knew that I wanted that. I knew that I wanted a good marriage. I wanted a um, loving family. And I wanted to lead and love well as a man. And so I knew that in order to achieve that, my lifestyle would have to change currently. And so there were these consistent, one would say, come to Jesus moments where they were real subtle and I would just evaluate myself in a spiritual mirror in a sense. And I would look at my spiritual reflection and I would say to myself, these are things that you know you want. This is a lifestyle that you know that you want in the future. And so in order to achieve this in the way that you want, you can't continue to live like this. So whether if you choose to stop, whether if you choose to continue, just know what you say that you strongly want and desire cannot coexist with these habits. And so I, I would consistently still go to church day in and day out. But 
what I, what what consistently happened to me still was there would be times that I would go to I remember I would go to these conferences these youth conferences and I would just cry under the tangible power of God and I didn't I didn't understand why because at the time I didn't even understand the love of God like that I didn't know that God could love me so much in the midst of my sin even though knowing how he feels about it, that he could touch me so tangibly. I remember there would be days, it would just be randomly, I would just cry and weep when I would listen to gospel, whether if I was by myself, whether if I was in church, whether if I was at a conference, it just seemed like God had his way of still touching me, regardless of whatever I was in. And even when I wasn't really interested in pursuing him, he still touched me. I genuinely believe that it was the prayers of my mother, my father, my grandparents that really, you know, kept me because there were small deposits that I would hold on to even in my lifestyle of wickedness. And so fast forward after high school, well, during high school, I'll even say this, I struggled a lot with insecurity as well. Insecurity with my physical appearance. I was bullied a lot. Um, I was made fun of a lot. And that really broke me down. And that was one of the things that fueled my desire to fornicate. It was because, you know, these guys think that I'm soft or they think that I'm lame or they think that I'm a nobody. So let me show them, let me prove that let me prove to myself and to them that I have a level of swag or a smoothness to me simply because of the fact that I'm sexually active now. And so that was simply because that I didn't have an identity. That's something else that's just interesting to me about it. Once again, is I know I said um, the value thing, but even identity, how the enemy would try to steal that, you know, and t- you and you really honestly operate in identity theft because I was told consistently, once again, who I was. Like, this is somebody who is not abandoned. I was not abandoned. People were not at my, my father was not absent at all. My mother was not absent at all. I was consistently reminded day in and day out about my identity, of who I was. My mother, I literally remember before I would go to school, Sometimes my mother and my father and I, we would pray before I would leave school. And my fa- my father and my mother, they would cover me. My mother, she would give me three kisses um, usually every, every day. She would give me a kiss on the forehead, kiss on the left cheek, kiss on the right cheek. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. And when she would do that, it would just be, you know, me remembering and hearing. But I, I realized once again, even though all of that was consistently happening in my life, For some reason, I still did not have identity. I still didn't realize that I myself had value and meaning. Were your parents aware of everything that you were dealing with from the addiction to uh, the identity problems and, and just everything that you were dealing with in the background? They knew about the addiction. I don't think that they knew about the whole identity thing because in their eyes, probably they said, yeah, we're going to make sure that Jesse knows who he is. Um, I'm I'm glad that you said that because I'm actually reminded of a story where my parents, they loved me so well. Um, I said earlier that when I would go to, when I would go to school every day before and after school, I would masturbate and watch pornography. One of those days I ended up watching pornography and in the middle of the act, my phone glitches 
and I get a virus on my phone. And so the scam says, you know, you have to pay $500. And I, I knew it was a scam because I heard about it. I know how these things work. But the problem was, is I knew that in order for me to get out of this, I had to tell my parents because I didn't know how to, I, I mean, I took the battery out of my phone. That didn't work. I put it back in, turned it off, turned it on. And I said, okay, well, I have no choice but to tell my mother and my father. And they just so happened to be in the room together at the time. I remember going into their bedroom and I looked both of them square in the face and I said, mom, dad, uh, do you know what masturbation is? Sitting here acting as if they don't know. And they said, yes, we do. And I said, well, uh, do you know what porn is? And I remember I was so nervous. Like I, I was so nervous because I'm, I'm like, you guys are doing everything that you can in your power to raise me right. And your only son is sitting here getting ready to tell you that he has a virus on his phone from watching pornography. And we now have to take it to the AT&T store to get it fixed. So when they told me that they knew what pornography was, I confessed to them and I said, hey, mom, dad, I... I've been watching pornography and my phone shut down and there's like a glitch in it and so I can't get out of it, it's a scam. So I was just wondering if you guys would be able to help me with that. And my father asked me for the phone, he said, let me see it. And when he did that, I gave it to him, but I felt so ashamed. I think this was, it was this moment where I really felt what condemnation was. It was that moment right there where condemnation came alive to me. Um, and I really felt the weight of sin, even though I didn't know of the Savior yet. And so um, my father, he he asked for the phone, and I was nervous to give it to him because on the glitch or on the virus, it took a picture of my face while I was doing it. And so when I looked at it, I said, this is embarrassing, this is humiliating, when this is over, nobody's ever going to see this. Not even my parents. I didn't want my parents to see that. So the fact that another human being saw that image of me, you know, on the phone, even though it was my father, I just felt so ashamed. And I remember my father and my mother, well, my mother was just there listening and, you know, because my father, I was assuming, was speaking on behalf of the both of them on what they felt. I remember my father looked me dead in the face and he said, you are not an animal. And we do not look at you in disgust, and we love you. You're our son. After that, I, I felt so ashamed. Um, shame is such a powerful thing. Because I went to a high school, I went to an all boys high school where dang near the whole entire school watched pornography. It was something that was talked about openly amongst us because that's just what guys do, right? And for some reason, I felt ashamed to pull my phone out. The plan was to go to school and my mother was gonna pick me up and we were gonna go to the AT&T store. I remember literally hiding my phone because I would carry my backpack in school and I remember hiding my phone because I didn't want anybody to see that and make fun of me. I didn't want to be the clown of the day because 
I got a virus on my phone for watching pornography, even though everybody else was doing it, which once again emphasizes the shame. And I even remember uh, when my mother picked me up uh, and we went to the AT&T store, she took my phone and she got outside. She, she, went, she went into the store and I told her, I said, mom, I'm not coming in. I'm not, I'm not coming in. Because the, the, the phone was, you couldn't turn the phone on or off. Like the screen was just there. The pornographic images weren't there, but the, the glitch, the virus was there. So you would have seen my face. You would have seen the what I guess you could say I would have gotten fined for. You would have seen my phone and you would have known that I was a consistent watcher of pornography. And I didn't want that to be exposed to people that I didn't even know, let alone my own father and mother. I think what also spoke to me as well is she didn't care that that was me. Even other people possibly seeing me, she didn't care. Um, and I think that also spoke volume to me as well. The fact that even though I'm not coming in to the store with you, you you're holding this phone that is evident that I've been watching pornography. And, you know, I look like a goofball in a sense because I get a virus and you're not ashamed as my mother, as somebody who raised me. You simply are just so you're solution oriented and you're saying, OK, we're just going to get the phone fixed and, you know, we'll deal with whatever we need to later. That story holds so much weight in my life because at, and at, the t at the time, I did not know what was happening. But I know for a fact, as I've walked with Jesus, that story was a foreshadowing of what God would handle me or how God would handle me and how God would teach me how to handle others. Fast forward to college. I got accepted to the college of my dreams. Everything worked out. God was faithful. I remember I was crying on the airplane back to um, New York because that's where I stayed. And I went to school in North Carolina. When I visited the school and I found out that I got accepted, I remember crying on the plane because I was so grateful to God. So I would still consistently have these moments where I would be expressive towards my gratefulness to God. That doesn't necessarily mean that I was living for Him, but I think when I look back at the story, sometimes I'm still shocked on how much I was able to feel him in those moments because of the way that I was living and because of how holy he is. I go to college and I continue my lifestyle, but I met one of my best friends, the orientation, not during the school year, but during the orientation, which was like the first couple of uh, weeks before we started school. And I remember I met him and it's literally a lifelong friendship now. He and I literally run a ministry together. He was saved when I met him. I was not saved at the time. I was not living for God at the time. He knew who I was called to be, but I just did not know. And so I could just continue my lifestyle. And I remember one day there was a shift, a crazy shift in my life. It's funny because I, I ended up fornicating with this one girl and I didn't know what soul ties were at the time, nor did I know that they exist. And so what had happened was, is I ended up having consistent sex with this individual and a soul tie took place. And um, I found out that they were involved with another individual and I was hurt by it. Even though her and I did not have any commitment 
lined up. There was no definition to what it was. We were just, one could say, I guess, friends with benefits or whatever. But there was something in my heart that felt that she was more than my friend. And so I remember when I found out that she was involved with another person, I was hurt. And so that was another sobering moment to me because I recognized, and I didn't know at the time, how Christ is with us as a people. And so that led me to kind of cut off the whole fornication thing, but not because the Lord told me to, simply just because I didn't like what it could lead to and how it could possibly make me feel again. I remember when I cut that off, there was a, one one could say a spiritual mentor that just came into my life. I would see him in passing in my dormitory and we would just talk about Jesus. And so the thing was with me is whether if I lived for God or not, I knew the language because I grew up in church. So some, I grew up Baptist. And so if you've ever been to a Baptist church, if you're going to know anything, you're going to know the Bible. You are going to know that book. And so I knew scripture for days, man. I'm talking, I would pull verses sometimes and I would just say things when I would pray or even when I would talk to people. And sometimes I'd be shocked at the fact that I knew these verses. So I I had the churchy language. I had the churchy lingo. But this is now where we're stepping into where he's not just the God of my mom or my dad, but he's becoming the God of me. And so... When I met this um, young man who, in a sense, discipled me for a quick season, um, we just started talking about Jesus, but I didn't um, I didn't make up in my mind to follow him yet. Um, but it, it was just the fact that he and I were discussing him that I believe God was using as seeds um, and, and deposits for me to get a radical yes from my life. And so I remember one day, Um, during our homecoming. Now, this is how I know it's God because our homecoming, it's considered one of the most wildest homecomings um, when it comes to college life. It's, it's, It's a big thing. The whole city, the whole state of North Carolina honestly gathers. People drive hours, fly from nations, um, states, you know, wherever they come from, whether if they're alumni or if people just want to come, they come. I didn't really do anything. I, I stayed to myself in my room, but on the Sunday that the homecoming was getting ready to end. So how it works is there's a gospel concert every Sunday after homecoming activity. So you have the whole week where, you know, the parties and all that other stuff. But then on Sunday, they have a gospel concert where the gospel choir sings and they bring in an artist who comes in and performs. And so that Sunday, I remember I was getting ready to fornicate again with a young woman that I was entertaining before we started college. We kind of just fell off and then came back. So we started um, talking again. And so she invited me to her room. And so I ended up going to her room. And this was the Sunday that we were having that gospel concert. I ended up going to her room, but something occurred in my life that has never happened before. And I know that this is a supernatural experience. She um, was unclothed. Um, I was in bed with her, but my body was not responding at all. And I was kind of scared, honestly. I was very scared, <laughs> actually, because I'm, I, I said, this is, not, this is not how I operate. This is not how I work. Why is this happening? So 
after that, when I realize that my body is not responding to this form of temptation supernaturally, I hear um, a voice and I have an inclination to leave the room, which is also something that has never happened to me before. And mind you, I did not give my life. I did not rededicate my life to Christ yet. Like the Lord was telling me, leave, like leave, don't don't stay here. And I remember I turned away from her. Um, I turned away from her in the bed and I faced the opposite direction of the wall. And I was looking at the wall and I just had this wrestle in my mind for about like five to 10 minutes. I, and the thing is, I, re I really wanted to fornicate that day. Like I want, I, I was, I wanted to lead into temptation, but physically I literally could not. And the torment in my mind of staying in that room was just too great. So I ended up leaving immediately when I left. I'm talking like when I left her dormitory and the door closed, I receive a phone call from the guy that I told you about, my mentor, my discipler. And what he says to me, he says, hey, Jesse, um, I have this free ticket to the Kirk Franklin concert. Do you want to come? And if you come, don't worry about gas. Don't worry about rides or anything because I have a car. Um, I have gas. Just come and I'll take you. And I'm like, wow. Okay, so this is the initiation where I start to develop my history with God. And so I go into my uh, dorm room, 117 Curtis Hall. I go into my dorm room and I call my mom. And I told my mom what happened. I said, mom, like I was getting ready to um, have sex with a girl and for some reason I just couldn't and I left. Um, I, I felt like I heard a voice to leave and I told her, I said, and then immediately after I left, you know, somebody just calls me and says, hey, like you want to come to the Kirk Franklin concert? And she just, you know, she knew what the Holy Spirit was doing in that moment. And so she was happy for me. She didn't say too much, though, because I think she still carried the posture of if you're going to make this decision, let it be your decision. So um, when I get off the phone with her, as I'm changing and getting ready for the concert, the Lord says to me, Jesse, if you follow me, if you obey me, I will take you places that you thought you could never go. I will open doors for you that you thought you would never stand in front of. And so in that moment, I gave my life to Christ, literally in that moment. And I said, okay, Lord, I will serve you. For me, it didn't take much. I felt like that was a sign. And even still, as I was growing in the faith, I did not know that that was a prophetic sign of what God was going to do and literally what he was doing in the moment because I didn't have a ticket. I didn't have access. I didn't have any money at the time. I was a college kid. Somebody calls me, says, here's this ticket that was paid for. I didn't pay for it and says, hey, come in my vehicle. I'll take you. And so um, I remember from that point on, I made a conscious choice to serve the Lord Jesus. After that, about two days after, I just didn't I just didn't realize how real God was. Um, because even after that, those little deposits, I remember uh, earlier I said I didn't understand why my mom praised so hard, why my father preached so hard. But in the midst of these circumstances that I was having in my life, I began to understood. And it went from a place of me spectating to participating now. And so my praise became 
radical. If you know anybody who knew me when I got saved, I mean, I didn't care what I looked like. If Jesus was in the room, my dignity went out the window. Um, whether if I was crying, snotting, whether if I was jumping, hollering, it didn't matter. If, if God was there, he was going to receive praise and worship from me. And I just made that conscious decision and there was so much freedom in it. And so um, I remember I was in the cafeteria and the Lord told me, he said, you need to get tested for sexually transmitted diseases. And I said, first off, I can't believe that you said something like that to me because I expect you to speak in the language of thee, thou, and theyest and all that stuff. But the fact that you, God, the creator of the universe is telling me, go get tested for sexually transmitted diseases. I thought I had something. I thought I had AIDS. I thought I had HIV. Honestly, because what, what is your mindset when somebody who is all-knowing and all-wise tells you to get tested for sexually transmitted diseases? Obviously, it means that you have it, right? So I, I said, okay, Lord, I'm in the middle of eating a burger. The Lord interrupted my meal. And so um, I think either that same day or the next day, I went to the health center. And when I went to the health center, I said, hey, uh, I want to get a test for sexually transmitted diseases. So like the needle and, you know, urinating in the cup and all of that. When I was in that room or when I was in that health center, I was in there probably about like 45 minutes, but it felt like I was in there for hours, like for hours at a time. Because when I was there, I was reflecting every girl that I slept with, every girl that I did something sexually with, every time I watched pornography, every time I felt a push from the Holy Spirit to go into another direction when I was a teenager and did not decide to listen every time. And so once again, as it was when I was confessing my pornographic addiction to my parents, once again, I understood the weight of condemnation. But this time I was saved. So in addition to feeling that condemnation, I understood how much I needed the blood of Jesus. I understood how much I needed the power of the gospel in my life. I understood how much I needed a savior. I understood how much of a sinner I was and how unclean I was and how I needed to be clean and made whole again. And so I remember um, I was so nervous. I was so fearful. And I remember the nurse, or not the nurse, but the health worker, when she was taking my blood, my arm was shaking. Like, literally, it was twitching because of how nervous I was. And so she looked at me. She said, what's wrong with you? And I said, you know, I have um, a sexual past. And, you know, I'm, I want to change or I'm going to change. But I just want to know. I just want to make sure that I don't have anything. That health worker looked at me dead in my face and said, you're fine. You don't have anything. And I said, woman, are you crazy? And I didn't, I didn't know. This, 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 so this is the thing. In my walk with Christ, I was never opposed to the supernatural, but I never been exposed to it to a degree like that. You know, when she said that, I said, oh, okay. How did I, I, just, I really didn't even combat it. Mentally in my head, I'm like, this woman is crazy. She doesn't know 
a lick of what she's talking about because the results didn't even come in yet. So how in the world could you know? I don't I didn't know at the time that the Holy Spirit can tell people things about you. I remember I left and she said, you're you're going to get your results in about a week to two weeks or something like that. I get my results three days later. And I remember exactly where I was standing, where I was. I was standing in between my dormitory and the dormitory of the girls that I was planning to uh, sleep with during that gospel uh, during that co- gospel concert. I stood in the middle of that. They sent me an email. And um, when I read it, I was negative for everything. Gonorrhea, negative. HIV, negative. HPV, negative. AIDS, negative. And... When when I when I read it, I just looked up to the sky and I know I told you that I grew up in the Baptist church and so we would know scripture like the back of our hand. And so one of the scriptures that I would hear is, There are now there is now therefore no condemnation to them that live in Christ Jesus. And so that was the scripture that immediately came to mind. I know I told you that I gave God a yes in my dormitory, but when he did that for me. Oh, I gave him a, a crazier yes. It was like somebody flipped the switch in my life. And for me, I know a lot of people, they, you know, they came out of that lifestyle and they have, you know, STDs and there's no shame to them. But specifically for me and my testimony, that was God's way of expressing to me that the condemnation and the weight of my sin had no authority over me anymore. And so from then on, I started to just serve God. Um when I started to lean into God, I didn't dream like as much before I before I was saved. When I gave God a yes, dream life skyrocketed. I'm talking, I'm having dreams about things that God is showing me in the future. I'm having dreams of myself preaching in front of hundreds of people in a big church. I'm having dreams of my parents getting filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. I'm having I'm having dreams of uh, people's lives and intricate details of their lives. I'm having prophetic dreams. I remember one time, my very first prophetic dream that I had, I had a dream that I got into a car accident in my vehicle with somebody else riding shotgun next to me. The exact details where we got rear-ended and the person looked at me, and when they looked at me, they opened their mouth like, I can't believe they just hit you. And so that same day, I got rear-ended with that person in my car, and they looked at me and they said, I can't believe that they just rear-ended you. Now, I didn't know that I had a gift, um, but like this was something that was consistently happening. So after that person said that, they looked at me, and they said, Jesse, you're a prophet. And I did not, you know, entertain that. I'm just like, wow, this is very interesting, okay? Um, just kind of left it alone. Just kind of left that in the dust. And I just said, I'm going to just walk with the Lord and go about life. Like I said, there were a lot of things that I was not exposed to. But when God started introducing me into the culture of the supernatural, I was at a conference. So the youth conferences that I used to pray at when I was not saved, they had another one after my freshman year of college. The summer after my freshman year, I was in a conference in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And there were, there were a bunch of young people that went to the altar 
And I remember the pastor who was preaching at the time, he said, stretch your hands towards the altar and pray for these individuals. And I don't remember what he was praying for. I think he was praying against uh, the rejection or something in regards to soul trauma or soul healing. And I remember I stretched my hands towards them and I began to pray. And when I began to pray, I started to speak in tongues supernaturally. Nobody touched me, nobody laid hands on me. I remember I started to pray and uncontrollably I started to speak in tongues. I could not stop it. Um, and even when I tried to, when I closed my mouth, immediately when I opened my mouth, it began to happen again. I've never experienced something like this before, so I didn't know what to do, but I just let it flow. Also, God would increase his tangibility upon me at a greater magnitude. So when I would feel God in a room, I would feel this strong heat in my belly. It was a supernatural experience. It felt like there was literally a fire in my belly. And I could, it was just when I knew that I felt the presence of God and the anointing was strongly in the room. And then even in the midst of that, like I told you, I had dreams of family members speaking in tongues. I had dreams of my mom healing a blind person, you know, going up to somebody who was blind and saying, open your eyes and see, and that person seeing and stuff. And so um, God was just really showing me um, what it was to move in the supernatural and to really expose me to that lifestyle. And so I remember um, during that time, I had an encounter, a, a very vivid encounter um, that was that was high, like much more tangible and real to me. I remember I was in my house back home because this was my sophomore year. We got kicked off of school because COVID-19 had hit. And so we had to do school online. And so I remember... I went to sleep, and when I went to sleep, I get snatched out of my body. So it was like, go to sleep, boom, somewhere in the spirit realm. And so I'm in this place, and I'm not in a room because I'm floating. There's no wall, there's no ceiling, and there's no floor. But I'm floating. I know I'm floating. And I don't, I don't see him, but I hear his voice. It was the voice of the Lord Jesus. He said one word to me. He said, and I'm going to imitate it the best way that I can, because it was like, it was as if he was yelling, but whispering at the same time. It, it, it's just mysterious. And he said to me, he said, prophet. And I remember after he said that, I felt this downward motion back into my body from wherever the heck I was. And I'm back in my body. That encounter was probably about five to 10 seconds long. And it, it happened right when I went to sleep. And when it was over, it was morning time and I woke up. And so I knew that that encounter marked me. I didn't know specifically how or um, what took place during that. I know that I was labeled as something that I didn't really have understanding for. And so... The, the funny thing is that person that I got in that car accident with, they called me a prophet way before that happened. But even before this encounter, people were calling me that. I never called myself that. I didn't go and uh, flaunt and be like, hey, I'm a prophet like or anything like that because I didn't know the logistics of that office that God ordained, but I knew it was serious. And I knew you don't just, you don't just go around saying something like that unless you are sure that God tells you. And so 
I said, okay, Lord, like if this is who you have called me to be and this is your plan for my life, then as I follow you and as I obey, you're going to make it happen. And so after that, people started calling me that. Like on Instagram, people started saying it like prophet and this and prophet that. And I'm like, stop calling me that. Like I'm just a young man who loves Jesus. As that happened, I started to grow more and more in the faith. My praise just became even more intense, more intense and more intense. And so I remember while this is all happening, flashback to freshman year, I ended up getting in a relationship romantically with someone that the Lord did not initiate me to start. I'm the one that started it. I went up to this person. I said, hey, like, I want you to, I want to be your boyfriend. Can you be my girlfriend? And God didn't tell me anything. I remember I literally prayed to God and I asked him, Lord, what do you think about this? And he didn't respond. And so I, I took that as a yes because I wanted what I wanted. And so here I am falling back into sexual sin again. I remember one time I led prayer at a church. And then the day after, I got a plan B because of what had happened the night before. And so, and this is, this is, this is after Christ. This is after I started really serving the Lord. Um, and so I felt, I felt like such a hypocrite, the shame, you know, the weight. And I, and, and, and I realized, you know, there's a, there's an old song that says the safest place is to be in the will of God. And so I realized the, the dangers of stepping outside of his will. But what I, what I remember consistently is when I reflect on this moment, I think about the time where my father and my mother discovered my pornographic addiction and how they handled me. In the midst of all of that, God was still touching me. I was still growing spiritually. I was still having encounters with him. He would still show me things in his word. And even in that one area where I was, in a sense, being rebellious and disobedient, God was still merciful to me until I had the courage and the willingness to disconnect from that relationship. And even after I disconnected from the relationship, the condemnation was still there because in my mind, I said, Lord, I can't believe that I rebelled against you for so long. I can't believe that I ignored your spirit for so long. I can't believe I was crying out to you, praying consistently, reading your word, prophesying to people and still rebelling against you in my heart concerning this specific area in my life. I can't believe I did that. And it was the fact that the Lord still was merciful to me that just blew my mind. And he, it was almost like once I repented, and I mean, that's that's how it works. Like once I repented, he didn't bring it up again. I brought it up. You know, when I would, when I would go to prayer and I would um, talk to God about this, God would talk to me about it because I brought it up. He never brought it back up to me after I repented and said, Lord, I'm sorry. I I still want to follow you. I still want you to lead me in my life. And so that really blessed me knowing that the fact that God would still touch me tangibly that and and he would initiate the touch. There would be times where I would feel so condemned I wouldn't even want to pray, but his presence was so tangible in the room and he would touch me. He would tell me that he loved me. He would he would shower me with his love with with um his acceptance, you know, even though I was dealing with condemnation and I felt disqualified from his touch. And so after I, after I disconnected with the person, it just skyrocketed even more um, because now there were no distractions and I knew that I was in the will of God. And so 
more opportunities opened up for me to, you know, express my gift as I healed and as I matured in God. I learned more about the nature of Jesus. I was able to really submit and understand what it was like to be like him without any other distractions. And so I was simply just growing with God um, and, and, and understanding how he felt about me and understanding who he destined me to be. I just continued to grow. And then afterwards, I ended up getting ordained as a prophet in, in, in the church that I currently serve at now. And, you know, in between that time from the time that I disconnected from the relationship, I can literally say it was only God. You know, he and I, I understand, I asked God, I said, Lord, why, why are you progressing me to this um, magnitude? Because, you know, my leader and my brothers and sisters in the faith, they would say, Jesse, you're growing so fast, you're accelerating. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, if, if this is what people are saying, why, why? Why is this happening? Why, if you are the, you are the alpha and the omega, so why is it that time is just going so fast for my growth? And he told me, he said, because I was obedient. And I was still kind of confused because I said, Lord, I really wasn't though. Like you, you've been asking me for essentially a, over a year to disconnect from this and I did not. So what do you mean that I was obedient when I was looking at the fact that I was rebelling for over a year? And God literally was just showing me his heart once again. He just honored the fact that I muffled up the courage and the willingness and the love for him to still obey. And so he he told me, he said, yes, you rebelled and yes, you went against my word, but eventually you came out. And the fact that you still did, I am pleased and I am honored. God has had a consistent trend of putting me in places that I did not feel qualified for, putting me in positions, putting me in opportunities that I did not feel qualified for. But when I look back at the testimony or when I look back at the beginning of the journey of me having Christ in my life, what I said was, he said to me, if you follow me and if you obey me, I will put you in places that you never thought you would go. I would put you in front of doors that you never thought that you would ever stand up, stand in front of. And so to me, when I thought about it, I'm like, wow, Lord, you are fulfilling the promise you made to me when I was 19 years old. And now I'm 23, four years, you know, in the Lord. I haven't been perfect, but I know that God has walked with me and has consistently guided me through this process. And so even now, as I've been walking with the Lord, my praise, it just gets more radical. My, my, my shout gets more louder. My, my excitement for Jesus, it increases every single day because I simply just think about who I used to be and what he did in my life and, and what he is consistently still turning me into as a man. And I look at it and I say, it was all him. It, it was literally all him. Jesse, for for people who are uh, dealing with that pornography addiction, which we know is very much present uh, in the church um, as people uh, follow Jesus Christ, um, what can you say to those people who are watching you? And maybe even if they're not um, following Jesus, if they're just dealing with a pornography addiction um, and dealing with that shame, what can you say to that person? Uh, What's a word of encouragement that you can give them? My word of encouragement 
is, and I hope they don't misinterpret what I'm saying, you cannot shock God. One of the things that I struggled with when I was dealing with sexual sin during that relationship and even um, the fornication piece as well after Christ is I literally thought that when God saw me, that was all he saw. And what that is, is because coming out of that lifestyle, it's not about your actions, it's about your mind. And then your mindset affects your actions. That's why repentance means to change your mind. So if that's the only thing you if that the, if that's the only thing that you focus on, that is what you will begin to turn your attention to, and you'll more than likely entertain that activity. But when you come from a place of becoming sin conscious to Christ conscious, that's where freedom is. When you when you instead of saying, okay, like resisting this temptation, it's difficult, and you know all of that stuff, which is good. You should resist temptation, but you can't do it in your own strength. So you have to lean in the strength of God. So in those moments where you feel weak and you want to fall, say, Lord, help me, keep me. He's not expecting you to be perfect. That's why he came. So the advantage that we have is to come to him in the moment of our weaknesses and ask him to give us strength to overcome the moment of temptation. Jesse, who is Jesus to you? Who? Jesus is my everything. Um, I'll say this, and I'm very confident that this is true. Without Jesus Christ, I would have committed suicide because he gave me a reason to live. I'm reminded of the scripture. You asked who Jesus is. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus gave me a reason to breathe. He gave me purpose. He, he's my purpose giver. He's my destiny giver. He's my hope. He's my light at the end of the tunnel. And so I can genuinely say the fact that I'm standing here breathing in front of you and I did not fall into the trap of taking my own life is because of the resurrecting power that he possesses. He's my escape route to when I felt that things couldn't get better, when I felt that things could not work out on my end, he overturned the odds that were stacked against me and used them for his glory. Any last words, Jesse, for people who are watching your testimony? We all come from different backgrounds, different placements in life. One could say, like I said, that I grew up with the American dream, both parents. Um, decent life. But I will say that regardless of who you are, where you are, the lifestyle that you are currently in or the lifestyle that you currently desire to come out of, there is an escape route and his name is Jesus. He can reach you wherever you are. And I'll also say, don't ignore the tugs of the Holy Spirit. Don't ignore the times where you feel this force externally other than yourself telling you how you should go about life, how you should walk, how you should behave, what you should say, what you should not say, because that's not a force. That's the Holy Spirit. And he, he's pulling on you and knocking at your heart. And if you answer, it will be the best decision. I'm telling you, 
I'm standing here, not just as somebody who's talking, but I'm standing here or sitting here rather as somebody who is a witness. If you say yes to the knock of your heart from the Lord Jesus Christ, it will be the best decision that you have ever made in your life.